Two Humorous Nurses with Kelly and Alicia. Welcome to episode 22 of Two Humorous Nurses, where we plan to bring you funny, informal, conversational chat about all things nursing. Today, I'm excited to introduce to you all Katie, the founder of Get Papped Movement. Get Papped aims to end the stigma around vaginal health and encourage people 25 and over to book in for cervical screenings. Katie decided to make the change and encourage people to begin talking about cervical screenings and encouraging others to do the same. She launched a birthday card that you can give to your loved ones to remind them to have their screenings um, and to begin a conversation in a really simple way. Katie is also a Queensland Young Achiever Award finalist for her work in this area. (laughs) Welcome, Katie. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I've been excited to sort of get you on since I started following you just recently, actually, because I think it's a really great conversation to have with everyone. I mean, pap smears or or we what do we call them now? We don't call them pap smears anymore, do we? Cervical screening. Yeah, it's a hard one to um, stop saying. Every GP I go to still calls them a pap smear. So it has changed, but that term's still used. Yeah. So cervical screenings, like a really, just another one of our health checks that we should be getting, but probably one of the first ones that women or people with cervixes will encounter because you start so young, unlike other screenings, which you don't have to do until you're much older. Um, How old do you need to be to start or should you be, I guess is the question, to start having cervical screenings? So you should be 25 years or older, which is one of the big benefits to changing from the pap smear. So when it was a pap smear, it was when you were sexually active um so usually they were aiming that around 18 it tended to be quite tricky to get people under 18 to have that um but a cervical screening is 25 and above unless you notice abnormalities so that can be things like bleeding after sex um, and irregular bleeding is kind of a key one to look out for if you are listening and under 25 but as a general rule 25 and older yeah, so I think I had my first pap screen, like I was 18 and um, I had it yeah. with our family GP. I couldn't have been more embarrassed. It was like, <laughs> <laughs> it was really um, quite a traumatic um, experience. Not the actual screening, just being in there with someone that had been my GP since I was a kid and him asking mm-hmm. me how many sexual partners I had and, you know, don't worry, I won't <laughs> tell your mum. And my mum worked at that medical centre as well. So it was very... <laughs> Oh my um, God. Yeah, it was really full on. And so I didn't have very many screenings. I haven't had very many screenings throughout my life. Mm-hmm. And I only just had another one. I had one when my daughter was born. And then I only just recently had one last year because I had some like other gynecological issues. So she did it while I was having a surgery procedure. And mm-hmm. I thought, there have been eight years between them. Like, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, because I mean, it is recommended that every five years after your last one that you have another one but I mean it's hard to keep track when it's something like a couple of months you can keep track but when it's five years difference like I can't remember what I was doing five years ago (laughs) and especially when you're young you move around you don't necessarily have the same GP practice or or um specialist center that you would go to that could send you reminders or whatever sure and it's a long time to put in your calendar and your phone, isn't it? Five years in advance. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, I wish I was that organised. I know. What is a cervical screening? I guess um, straight well, down to it. <laughs> yeah, let's get into it. Basically, um, what it is, is they are looking for HPV cells on your cervix. 
So um, I suppose this kind of comes back to why there's so much stigma around it. So looking for HPV and HPV is sexually transmitted. So um, it's said that 80% of people will have or have had or currently have HPV at some point in their lives. And I did a post on Instagram like an hour ago outlining just how stupid it is that we're so ashamed to have HPV when literally 80% of people will have it at some point. So, um, I mean, I think the shame comes from it being sexually transmitted. And I mean, as we touched on, it's quite a vulnerable procedure it's probably the first time that a lot of people have had to be so vulnerable with a doctor before and you know even just having someone inspecting the vaginal area it's not something you do outside of being intimate with someone usually that's right (laughs) so and it's really um I mean female sexual health is such a stigma anyway I mean just the thought of um I know there's big movement at the moment with women's sexual beings and things so the thought of yeah people don't want to talk I mean people don't even like to use the term the vagina like it's exactly something that it you know it upsets people and you're like but it's just a body part like it's, you'd say breasts or boobs or whatever you wouldn't even think twice about it you'd probably get them out for breast cancer or something but for something because yeah. that a lot of the population I mean, over half the population has a vagina, so you need to get it checked just like every other bodily function, I guess. So we've talked about having it done every five years and starting at 25. I guess if there are abnormalities, you would need to have it done more regularly and that would be based on your doctor's. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I guess I am 25 and last week I had my sixth cervical screening slash pap smear. Oh, no. yeah, I <laughs> I have had a few. And I mean, that just kind of comes down to, um, I mean, I was, I'm 25 now. So I had my first pap smear when I was 18. And then follow up meant abnormalities, which meant more checkups more frequently. Um, and I thought I was in, well, I'm still unsure. I thought I was in the green light of not having an abnormality. That was a cervical screening that came back. But now I'm having abnormal bleeding. So we're looking Uh, into seeing whether that's the abnormality coming back. So, I mean, you know, you expect that you wouldn't have to have them that frequently. But if you're having an abnormality, the thing is, is cervical cancer is one of the most preventable cancers. So when the second you say like, oh, I've I've got this symptom, a GP is usually like, well, we may as well tick that off the list because it's something we can clearly see and take action to prevent. So yeah. you are likely to to have extras just because it's a simple test. Yeah, exactly. I remember when I was I was in primary school and my mum um had cervical cancer yeah. and I she's she was fine, but she had um many pap smears over the years. So I think she was having them yearly at one point because she had lots of other gynecological issues as well. And I just remember I guess my mum's a nurse, so we never had any stigmas in our household. We talked about everything, we were very free and open about those things. Mm-hmm. And I remember hearing her tell a friend of hers that she had it and I remember getting really scared because I was like oh my god my mom has cancer <laughs> and she's like no yeah. no it's really easily treated and you know like it's it might be something that comes back but it's again easily picked up on and easily treated so um yeah. that was really reassuring and as I got older I sort of thought I wonder if it's a genetic type thing and so didn't make me go have any more regularly after I saw <laughs> the GP that first time <laughs> 
but I've been really lucky. I haven't had any issues with that. So, um, yeah. And most people don't. And I think that's key, you know, to keep in mind if you're having these anxieties about going. Yeah. Yeah. You might have an abnormality, but they might just say it's low grade, come back in three years. So, you know, having an abnormality, it's not this big, scary thing. It's, it's usually just a GP saying, let's keep an eye on that. Yeah. Come back in a year, come back in three years kind of thing. So yeah. I think I saw a post on yours that you did recently on your Instagram about self-screening. Mm, uh, can you tell yes. us a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, self-screening is kind of a new concept that's been heavily researched and then it's coming into action quite soon. And I actually had my cervical screening last week and asked my doctor her opinion on this as well. Um, And I mean, self-screening is a great option for many reasons. If somebody has cultural reasons that they can't comfortably visit a GP, um, perhaps someone's had sexual trauma or perhaps they're just really having high level anxiety and they wouldn't get a screening themselves. Um, And she said something that I agree with in that it's not the best option for most people because the accuracy would be difficult. And to ensure that you are getting an accurate reading means that you need to brush the cervix, which isn't something that most people can find themselves. No. So, I mean, it's a better option than never going to get a screening, which in a lot of scenarios, some people have too much fear to go. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a good second option. But when you are thinking in the mind of thinking about accuracy and, and that, that really does mm. concern me slightly. And we're missing out on a lot of accurate screenings and it's just human error. So, I, I mean, it's a great option for people who wouldn't go. Yeah. And I guess if you um, could have effective educational tools on how to do it and what to look for and, you know, they might not be comfortable with a doctor, but maybe their partner or something to, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know, to help or something. But yeah, I mean, if you've got huge anxiety or as you say, trauma. Absolutely. um, Another thing I wanted to talk about was the language around cervical screening and and in today's world with um, trans men and people that are non-binary and I think cervical screening is a great way of of making it more accessible to to those people but I know you have a practitioner section on your website and I saw that Mm -hmm. there was uh, practitioners on there that were disability friendly and um, trans friendly and I think that's really important but something that's very slow on the uptake in the medical world to absolutely be accepting what are your thoughts around that with language and and what we can do as I mean we're talking to nurses here and and what Mm -hmm. they can do to help change their language and terminology and acceptance of of these people 100% and I mean I think a lot of it comes down to educating yourself and practicing those things that you're learning so I mean key is what people often find difficult is using gender terms and you know I mean when initially when I started get papped I had um, gender pronouns in the cards because it wasn't something I thought about and it was three years ago and I think there's been a huge shift Mm. in how in the language we use even in that short amount of time when I remade the card I knew specifically that was top of my list to not gender 
and so that everyone was included. But um, in terms of medical um, practitioners, there's still so much work that can be done. And, you know, the second you're making assumptions about someone is the second that someone's going to feel judged. So, you know, you can always make different ways to show that you're an ally as well, particularly. So, you know, things like as simple as changing Instagram bios to she, her, or he, him, they, them, whether you can do that at work in your email signature, if you're um, ever liaising with anybody via email, there's all these tiny steps, whether you can put your gender pronouns near your desk at work for someone to showcase that that's accessible. If you see patients or colleagues in those scenarios, making your pronouns clear showcases that you're an ally yeah as well I hadn't Um, thought of that that's really interesting I see some of the bigger hospitals when they their emails come out with their gender pronouns in their bios on their emails so I hadn't really thought about it as as a way to show that you are an ally like I think I just assume that people will know but how would they know like you know because exactly that you know you can't always assume just because someone has a feminine name that they do prefer she her pronouns or they them so I mean if you're ever confused I don't think there's anything offensive about genuinely asking in a polite way I think that's the best option yeah of course rather than making assumptions and I guess we should be aware that there are many trans men out there who still have like their cervix and will still require screenings and in this day and age probably unlikely to go in willingly because it's a there's a stigma around trans let alone going in as a male wanting a cervical screen so yeah absolutely and I mean you know how there's not even research on the number of transgender people getting screened yeah and I mean I think it's quite safe to assume that as a trans person going to the doctor wouldn't always be a comfortable joyful experience when somebody's (laughs) judging you and making assumptions so I feel like going um, to the doctor can often be a difficult experience anyway, especially if you have, I mean, there's a whole movement at the moment for, um, you know, against weight bias and things like that. When when people go, they just make the assumption it's weight related or rather than looking at the whole picture and, yeah, I can't imagine having that battle to face just to maintain your general health. So Absolutely. Yeah. Is there a um, correlation, do you think, about COVID and screening? Have screening rates dropped over the last year with lack of face-to-face health appointments? Yeah. So um, I found a stat from ABC on this one to mention. So in November 2019, so throughout the year, there was over 100,000 cervical screenings performed. And then a year later, that dropped to 40,600. So pretty, pretty dramatic. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like, I think that even without COVID, that number would probably be declining as well. It seems, it seemed to be a common trend that numbers were dropping before COVID. And that's even with data from the UK. So it's definitely quite bizarre that that the numbers are dropping yet I feel like there's so much more coming to the forefront around you know female empowerment and sexual liberation that seems to be rising so it's very bizarre that we are finding that liberation sexually but not for our health 
yeah (laughs) i know it's funny i think i see a lot of um influencers at the moment promoting (laughs) sex toys and things at the moment but i am not seeing any of them suggesting go and getting regular um like std checks or cervical screenings or general sexual health checks that we should all be having on a regular basis anyway and I think it's great I think it's great to put it out there I've always been very open in that way but it just yeah they should I feel like there should needs to be a whole movement and the medical world's slow on the uptake I think with that as well like it's not necessarily a pleasant environment they're not making it easy or or a nice way to go in there. Like I think there's certainly a lot of work that can be done in this area. Agreed. We've touched on your cards and your get papped movement. Do you want to tell us more about that? Like what what is it? I've got some cards here that I actually purchased off you because even though I'm in my 40s and most of my friends are too, I'm still <laughs> going to send it to everyone because if they're like me, they haven't had one done in 10 years. So Yeah, well, you need it every five years, so they still need to get them done. Yeah. Um, but basically the, um, the cards kind of started because I realised, um, chatting amongst friends, I realised people weren't getting them done and I kind of, when I started Get Papped, I had so many friends and acquaintances message me saying they were like so grateful that there was somebody talking about it and they'd never discussed it before and it was kind of like this confession series of like 20 distant friends telling me that they had an abnormality as well and it was almost Mm. like they'd been screaming to try and have someone to talk to about it so the cards really are a tool to open up that conversation because you don't usually sit around at brunch or at the bar and check in with all your mates to make sure when they last had their cervical screening, when's their next one. It's a bit yeah. of a, <laughs> at times, an awkward topic to bring up. I mean, I'm talking about it all the time. Yeah, But generally, right. <laughs> generally, it's not top of the list when you're catching up with a mate. And because there's such a, a focus on age around the cervical screening, so you're supposed to have one at 25, which would probably mean the next one is 30, which then means the one after that is 35. So there's this continuation of points where you need to be getting one. Yeah. So I kind of figured a birthday card is a bit of a lighthearted way to tap into that. And it's a pretty cheap present. I always say you're gifting someone the gift of health and holding them accountable. (laughs) And it lets them know, I guess, that you're... I'm happy to chat about it. Like if you're sending someone a card that's saying, get your cervical screening done, then maybe they mm-hmm. are aware that they can come and have a chat to you and say, oh, look, I'm really nervous or or I got my result back and it's abnormal, you know, just wanted to chat yeah. with someone about it. So I think, yeah, it's a great conversation tool. They're really pretty cards. They're like great colours. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> And I think that, such an ingenious way to do it in like a non in your face you're just going to give it to them they can put it on their you know mantelpiece to display it for the with the rest of their birthday yeah, cards or they can the just thing. put it in their purse so um yeah, no well no, done like speculum on the front there's no, no vagina <laughs> like in your face it's a very subtle card that just has a cute message inside to remind people to yeah book. yeah so yeah hopefully it gets the message out there and you know like it's not the only way to hold someone accountable it's not all about 
getting buying a card and sending it to someone if you're comfortable to have that conversation yeah. and you just go for it there's no yeah, need that's to right. not spark the conversation without <laughs> having a card <laughs> I think this generation is coming up in nursing now like the younger you know the early 20s they are much freer in conversation even things like periods are becoming like just have a chat about it and you know, there's no stigma around it. Well, I mean, there is still stigma, but it's definitely lessening. And I'm hoping that by my time, my eight-year-old daughter in a few years starts her period, that we can have a really open conversation. I mean, she came to the toilet with me once when I, I think she must have been five, we were in Tasmania and we're at a cafe and we came out and there's bustling cafe and she's like, Jojo, mummy's got blood in her knickers. And I was like, oh, oh yeah. Hi, everyone. <laughs> like, <Here we> go. <laughs> yeah. So I was just like, I oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm hoping that, you know, like she'll know all about it, but I'm hoping that her friend's parents are able to have a similar conversation so that if it happens at school, she can say something to someone and they're not, you know, she's not going to think yeah. she's dying or something. Um, speaking of periods, you have a f- normal daytime job too, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I do share I do. the dignity is that correct yes that's correct yeah so share I'm the dignity the, um, is my chosen charity whenever I have to choose anything I love it I think that we should absolutely be handing out period supplies to everybody and everyone we have a needle exchange program at the hospital I work at. I think majority of hospitals and chemists and things do we hand out condoms and we hand out clean needles but we don't hand out pads or tampons or anything like that. And I just think that it's a real shame that hospitals and other places that do these programs just aren't on board with that because every, everyone with a uterus bleeds every month. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, you know, we hear at work, you know, that whenever we speak to people in need, they tell us when you're, when you have no money and you're trying to take care of your family, the first thing you'll cross off that shopping list is always going to be a packet of pads and tampons because you yeah. could provide a meal almost based on the cost of that for sure. In itself. So yeah. Yeah. I think they're it's... so overpriced. Yeah. And taxed. Are they still taxed? Oh god. No, they're not oh. taxed. Share the dignity fought to um get rid of the tampon tax a few years ago now. So oh, that's thankfully excellent. they're not taxed. Yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> we've done a little um it was last year, I think, on one of our debrief episodes, we did a bit on share the dignity because we did some bags for the um handbag drive. Um my daughter mm-hmm. and I did a teen bag and a and a woman's bag. Um, and we have done that every year now for a few years and, and I try Amazing. and drop a couple of packs of pads in the thing at Woolies and yeah, I absolutely think that people should get around both of your loves. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to take um, this time to remind everyone to book in for their pap smears. Uh, sorry, book in for their cervical screenings <laughs> um, <laughs> and maybe donate to share the dignity so that we can help people um, end period poverty. Um, And I just want to thank you, Katie, for coming on today and having a chat with me. Hopefully someone, it'll trigger someone out there to just give their doctor a call and book in or order your cards. I will link your website in our show notes and your Instagram page as well, which is Get Pat. Yeah. Yep. On Instagram. Mm-hmm. And don't forget to follow us at Two Humorous Nurses on Instagram or shoot us an email with your questions, stories, feedback to humorousnurses at gmail.com. That's humorous like the bone. H U M E R U S. Bye.